I think we try to put people performance into data because it allows us to think of it as black and white, as binary, you know, yes, no, or right or wrong. But that's not people. Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Hi, how are you? You have tuned in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I am so appreciative for you to spend some time with me and my fabulous guests who are always so willing to come and share information with you and me in the discussion that really talks about the nits and the prickly parts of being a leader, of being in your career, of being someone who wants to be a better leader and wants to have a bigger impact in the world. Closing the gap is about assessing where you are right now, seeing where you want to be, small steps that get you to the goals that really and truly delight you, that stir your passion, that help you inspire others to follow you and to work with you and to collaborate with you to change the world. That's what we're about, closing the gap. So today, my guest is someone who I think on the face of it, you would be wondering, how in the world does she get into leadership and culture transformation? Hmm. Katie McLaughlin provides leadership and cultural transformation for mature startups. So I guess the question is, what's a mature startup? So we'll talk to her about that. But she's really focused on helping leaders create inclusive cultures, build emotional intelligence, and work through their assumptions and biases that so often can actually stop them. But what they want is to actually connect them and get the most out of their teams. She does all of this through interactive, experiential, theater-based exercises. So that's the twist in this. She's a theater person by training, and now she's into leadership and culture. And it's an interesting story on how she got here. A lot of it has to do with what I talk about all the time is our personal bias. And generally, when you are in the C-suite, when you're in that kind of aspiring to get to the C-suite, you have a real high bias for action. And because of that bias for action, oftentimes we don't build our skills for inclusivity and collaboration. That's what we're going to talk about today. So with that, hey, Katie, how's it going? Hey, Denise, I'm glad to be here. Good. So now where do you live? What city are you in or what part of the country, the world? I'm in Seattle, Washington. Oh, beautiful Seattle. Love it. And it's a beautiful day here. Not always, but it's a beautiful day today. (laughs) (laughs) I can say that about where I am in Charlotte. So, (laughs) you know, you started in theater and all of that. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did you get from one to the other and now particularly working in organizations to help build deliberate leaders? So, you know, going to college, I ended up deciding while I was in college that I wanted to major in theater and, you know, got trained in acting and set building and all, all these other things. And 
But by the end of it, I realized I don't want to go move to New York and be trying to do the hustle. I also needed health insurance and had, you know, student loans to pay back. (laughs) And so, you know, I kind of spent a little bit of time exploring what I wanted to, to do in my career. And one thing kind of led to another. And I was in a customer service sales position at, at what I would call kind of a mature startup, meaning it's more than five people in someone's garage, right? It's, mm. you know, they, they actually had teams and they had a, an org structure and they had some onboarding, mm-hmm. uh, but of course had a long way to go to really be, you know, kind of a, a big grown up company. But through that experience, I then all my other skills of, around coaching, around facilitation really got to start to shine as I was peer mentoring other people who had come up after me on my team. And then I moved into training, which is where I've kind of always been a teacher and a trainer in my whole life. I remember back in high school, one of my high school teachers was like, oh, you're going to be a teacher. <laughs> Funny how <laughs> they thought, no, I'm not. Is, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that really just kicked off my career in corporate learning and, and training. And because of who I am, I'm also really passionate about process improvement and how do we actually achieve what we want to achieve through our people. And that really just sort of evolved to how do I help combine the background that I have around theater that helps me to relate to people, helps me in my communication skills. And of course, also helps in a variety of things like meeting deadlines. I don't know how to not meet a deadline because in the theater, the show must go on. People have bought tickets. You don't move opening night back. I mean, occasionally you do, but it's really rare. So you have to figure out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And and not all of those kinds of skills are being practiced well in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know that because most of my career has been in these mature startups, those are the companies that I can provide not just the theater and communication skills, but also the application to the real world, like company situations that they're going through, like mergers and acquisitions or needing to pivot a team to do completely other things, or all of a sudden we're bringing out a new product line that we've never had before. You know, I I know how the people elements come into play in all of those major business milestones because I've lived them and I've coached team members through them. It's interesting because you know, you and I are one of the, I shouldn't say few people, but you don't really hear a lot in the more popular stories that get out there about this idea of how businesses run. I, I, I boil it down to three things. You got a product, you got customers, and basically you got money that you're collecting that goes back into it. But all of those, no matter what it is, has to involve and be on the platform of how are you leading, managing, and getting people engaged and involved. And I think that that has kind of been the backstory of this this idea for the last couple of years that people are rethinking what works is, work is about and the great resignation, which is now turning into the you know the great disappointment for a lot of people because they jumped without thinking through a lot of things out of this. But ultimately, I think businesses the, the businesses that survived began to understand about this connectivity and this collaboration and how do you Think about the impact of your performance, my behavior performance on my people and whether it does it bring them towards working better and smarter or does it actually become an impediment to that? As I look through you know, your stuff and we've had offline conversations, talk to me about when you go into an organization and the leader really understands that you know, there's this performance curve 
I, they're, they generally say, I know the high performers. I know my low performers, but what do I do for everybody else? Exactly. <laughs> I think that a lot of leaders are really hyper-focused on data-based understanding of productivity. You know, like we have an expectation that you're going to make 30 calls a day. And you either hit that or you don't. And you can kind of see people's kind of raw data. And I think we try to put people performance into data because it allows us to think of it as black and white, as binary, you know, yes, no, or right or wrong. But that's not people. We know that people come from so many different backgrounds. They have different advantages, different disadvantages, and also just different needs. Mm-hmm and desires. We all have different things that we're good at and that get us excited to kind of get up and go to work every day. And we can't just pigeonhole people into binary data points. Mm-hmm. So I say that's kind of the biggest like eye opener that I encourage all leaders to think about is how much time are you spending looking at a spreadsheet to understand how well your team is doing? Mm, wow. Wow. That's an interesting perspective of it because a lot of people don't have a lot of spreadsheets. I think what they look at is something you said earlier about, are they making 30 calls a day? And of those 30 calls, what's the, you know, the the click rate through? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's a spreadsheet or a dashboard, right? Like if you're only thinking about that data and not looking at, well, who's engaging in team meetings? Mm -hmm. Who's, Who's showing up? We've we've got a remote team. Who's even showing up to those calls? Mm -hmm. Are we seeing any patterns there? Mm -hmm. You know, has somebody kind of dropped off and their behavior has started to change? Maybe they used to be a active contributor in discussions around team culture or like how to solve problems on your team. And now they're sitting back and they're not contributing. Mm -hmm. That is one of those kind of flags that as a leader, we have to start looking for, noticing because then we can take an action to try to investigate, find out what's going on there. Mm. So let, let's talk a little bit about this, this idea of the deliberate leader. Mm-hmm. When you say that, what does that mean? To me, the term deliberate means on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's an intentional action. Mm-hmm. And that usually also means that we have considered how we want to show up as a leader in the workplace, and we're actively making choices to be aligned with that vision of who we want to be in the workplace, Mm -hmm. whether that's based on our values, what behaviors we want to be doing. Because I find that most leaders are kind of leading by accident Mm -hmm. and aren't aware, first and foremost, that they have choice and that they have the ability to affect behavior and affect change. And then secondly, that once they know that they can do that, how do they want to show up? Mm-hmm. That if they've never thought about what does it mean for me to be the leader I want to be? And how does that look when I'm leading my team? How does that look when I'm talking with another manager? How does mm-hmm. that look when I'm giving feedback? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of my work is about helping them to uncover what are some of those behaviors that are going to be aligned with your value set and and that vision of that deliberate leader that you want to be. It's interesting when I hear you speak about this, most people, I think, or at least most people I find, you know, we have tunnel vision and we think everybody thinks like us, everybody, you know, acts kind of sort of like us, you know, in the ballpark. And we then look for people who make us comfortable in that zone, you know, that click and whatnot. 
and a lot of diversity, inclusion, bias, leadership training now, and I'll put it as leadership training, are really trying to push leaders to have people around them who are not like them, who, you know, was it Steve Jobs, or maybe he gets the credit as, if I'm the smartest person in this room, there's redundancy, right? So, right. <laughs> so having people who have a different point of view, who do challenge you, who think about that, that's a really uncomfortable place to be. And I find when I'm working with leaders and, and tell me if this is true. And, and I think when I think about you in theater, this works too, that they are, they are really conscious of how they want to show up and that intensity of dialogue, et cetera. But the reaction they often get from their people is that person must be adamant. They're not open to another conversation. I'll just do it their way kinds of things. And so that's not really leading. That's really telling person to do the job out of it. How do you help a person figure out that tone and behavior and the way you show up? It really impacts it because most of us can't see, you know, it's like being in front of the window, right? I can see out, but I don't have a reflection of what I look like. This is part of why I really love using theater as part of my method, because if we were to take that example you gave, where we've got this leader who's telling and the employee who just thinks, I guess I'm just going to do it their way. And like, I'm going to leave behind, you know, all of my creativity and my ideas, right? When you're in that situation, I think a lot of leaders expect that their employees are going to give them that feedback. Mm -hmm. But because of the power dynamics at play in your relationships, that can be a very vulnerable thing for an employee to do and can be very scary. It could be threatening to their status of working at the company on your team. Mm -hmm. And so by getting together groups of people in my workshops, I give them an, an example, a scenario like that, where you've got a leader who's acting this way and you've got, and how would you respond if that was your case? Because kind of, unless you're the CEO, you've got a leader, right? Mm -hmm. So whether you're a leader or an employee, you can participate freely in these, in these kinds of images. Mm -hmm. And I'll give people the prompt to create an image using their body, their facial expressions of what it would feel like when you're being told how you need to do something mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and kind of being overly prescribed to. Mm -hmm. And from there, everybody creates an image at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I can get the technology to work out, I take a screenshot and then we look at the screenshot afterwards and we talk about, wow, what are the similarities and differences and Usually what I find is that a leader, if they're not even sure if they do that, they're at least aware that that behavior causes reactions that are not positive. Right, right. And it's usually in the one-on-one -on -one training that I do where we still use this same method where I'm able to give them kind of the prompt of all these different types of reactions somebody could have and see how that makes them feel mm -hmm. uh, as a leader where they get to experience the frustration of somebody shutting down, you know, the frustration of feeling like I can't express myself creatively. And then that's, that's where they get a chance to really see, wow, I need to make a change here. So now that they kind of sort of can see, because body language, there's a study that roughly, you know, is right. That says, you know, 55-ish percent of communication is body language. 38% is tone. 7% is words out of it. And, you know, my mother would go, Denny, and that was one thing. But if she went, Denise, Janae, Cooper, or Williams, come in here, that was a whole different story that was going to actually come in, right? 
And so we know those kinds of things because of tone and the way somebody stands, but that's the part that's invisible on it. So taking a picture of them, like you're saying, kind of a screenshot or a visual on it is one thing, but how do they envision, how do you help them think through and envision, which is really theater, right? It's the whole idea of I'm going to pick up a different persona and I have to embody that persona that I'm going to pick. How do you teach that to a leader and make them comfortable in that that persona? So the first thing is about them being able to take a look at the feeling that they want to create Mm -hmm. in the conversation. How do they want to feel? Mm -hmm. And also how do they want the person they're speaking with to feel? Mm -hmm. Because our emotions are driving the things that we say, the actions we take, and usually our body language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the better that each of us as individuals and especially leaders can understand what am I feeling in this situation and what could the other person be feeling mm-hmm. that can help us understand why we or they are acting in a particular way. So we lay that foundation of what are we feeling? Then we can look at what are some options and let's play, let's, let's role play, let's practice, let's think about and go into the same situation a number of different times and play with possible ideas mm-hmm. of how mm-hmm. else you could show up. Mm-hmm. It's funny because now you're, you're kind of getting them into that. The next thing I'm kind of thinking is, is, okay, you and I have enough relationship here that I can play with you, but you now want me to play in front of my team? Yep. That's really pushing the envelope. <laughs> well, and that's why, that's why it's so important in this kind of environment to have some of that one-on-one coaching time, okay. right? Because in the session, we'll talk about that. And, uh-huh. you know, if we've built that rapport, then a leader will share, this is how I'm feeling. I don't feel comfortable going and playing. Right. And so we identify what would be one of the options that they liked that made them feel comfortable and also was eliciting some of that kind of emotional reaction they were hoping for from their mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. And I give them the assignment to go try it, right? That's all that we really can do in our relationships mm-hmm. is to make a choice and try. Mm-hmm. And then see what happens, right? And so then we can debrief after and say, okay, well, you tried that behavior. How did it go, right? You know, what did people say? How did they react? And then we can keep building on that. So it's mm-hmm. not about entirely changing every single relationship or every single behavior you have at work, but you have to start somewhere. You have to start small. So we're starting small. We've got a leader that's comfortable dealing with you or a person. I mean, you might also be talking to a manager. It might be an employee who has a tough conversation with the boss that they need to have, right? right. And so they try to think through this. How do, how do they know if it's going right? How do they know if they're holding it? And walk me through, it's kind of, you know, one of the things you talked about is the McLaughlin difference, right? Walk me kind of through how you take them from, I don't know what you're talking about. So you're creating awareness. You're getting them to be curious about it, right? And to try a few things and, you know, see what it feels like and whether it works or not. And then it's about learning to observe other individuals. And then it's really following up and following through. That's kind of the circle, right? Absolutely. how How do you get them through? Because one of the bad things or one of the things that we all have to deal with is, you know, habits and sustainability. There's a reason why, you know, dieting is a multi-billion dollar industry and that for most people within 14 days of starting a diet, they're off their diet. 
kind of thing is because old habits just creep in and just take over. Do you have any tips on, you know, I really want to be better and, and I've tried a whole bunch of stuff. Nothing seems to stick. Am I broken? (laughs) You know, I think part of the problem that we have is this expectation that, that there are band-aids, right? That it, that it's, that it's a band-aid and it's like a quick fix, Mm -hmm. right? Then we just like stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the same thing that a lot of organizations do with leadership training. You know, people are doing a, a one day workshop on leadership. That's the end, you know? And the fact is that we are ever evolving people, right? And depending on how ingrained some of those habits are of, you know, when we get defensive, when we feel like we have to micromanage, that may take time for you to develop new skills and to develop new habits. And that's part of why the, one of the other things that I encourage leaders to do is to develop that awareness. Because if we're going into all of our conversations in a fog and we don't, we're not aware of, oh, hey, I'm getting defensive now, or, hey, this person seems to be shutting down. You know, if we're not even aware of that, we can't change it. Mm -hmm. Change starts with awareness. Mm -hmm. And so through a lot of my workshops, especially through people expressing themselves and showing different emotions, we get a chance to develop some of those behaviors of seeing an emotion portrayed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we can start to recognize when that's happening in real life. Okay. And if we can just continue to start to feed that awareness mechanism, oh, I saw this today. Oh, I saw that today. Then the chance of actually changing some of these habits becomes that much stronger. Mm -hmm. How long does this take? I mean, it's funny because we're deliberately kind of slowing this process down to have a discussion, right? Right. And going through each and every kind of step of I'd rather think this and I'd rather do this and I'd rather think this and out of this. And and I think the first step is always the hardest step, right? I mean, when we do all those tests and Facebook things of what are the things that scare you the most? What are the mm-hmm. things you'd never do? Public speaking is one of them. And leadership really is about public speaking, right? You might be speaking in front of one, but you might more likely leaders are speaking in front of many people on a lot of times, you know, their calendars or book from morning to night, and they're always just speaking, speaking, speaking. And so that's a scary zone to be in anyway. And what you're talking about is really taking planning and practice and all those other stuff. It just sounds like it's, it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I think that being the person that you want to be can be hard. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, especially when we, we have all these ingrained habits and behaviors and biases and, you know, we're learning so much, I think, especially in the last few years as a culture, you know, we're learning so much about how much we each have to learn mm-hmm. and how much we can each grow into being the people we want to be. Mm-hmm. And that said, you know, when it comes to actually like doing this work with me, even I've been shocked at how quickly people can get results mm. that even, you know, I knew that this method and this, these techniques, you know, that I had learned and then I've adapted to the business world, I knew that they would be impactful, but Mm -hmm. I had no idea it would happen so fast. I found that in a single hour in one of my sessions, whether that's a one-on-one session, or if that's a group session that people get aha moment after aha moment and start to see the other people in their world, in their relationships 
as humans. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing that we can do to transform our behavior and habits in the workplace is really seeing these people not as adversaries, but as, as other human beings who are just trying to live their lives and, you know, do good in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've started to do, of course, is, you know, capture feedback after workshops and, and hear people's thoughts and, you know, people's confidence go up their feeling of being supported by others in the room goes up and even their ability to understand the experience of their coworkers. I find this work is so powerful when I get a chance to do it with a full team Mm -hmm. because it really helps to rebuild some connections with the team where we might've built up some walls thinking, oh, this person doesn't understand that person's job is so easy. By doing this, we realize, wow, we each have things that maybe we love about our job or don't love about our job. And I can feel empathy for the work they do every day mm-hmm. and I can be grateful for it. Mm-hmm. And that's in an hour that people are having some of those aha moments. So I'm very grateful to do this work and to support people in having these moments of seeing each other as, as humans that have value. Yeah. And, and I love how you drew in the mindset of what we think about is training and development. It's, you know, these one-offs, this, this, oh, I, I made you read the book. I made you sit through the class. I gave you some practice things. And then now, okay, you're kind of out there. So how do you support a person after they've gone through the training? Because you've said it, we've implied it, that just because we create the awareness in the beginning doesn't mean that it's sustainable afterwards, because it is, you know, we're all growing, evolving, we're playing with this. It's unique. The experience is unique to each of us, how, how I feel about it, what my emotions are. And, you know, there's a whole lot of new work coming out probably, you know, now about naming emotions, you know, and being able to at first name it, then you'd be able to kind of move through what that looks like. But if you had to recommend for organizations, well, what do you do in your McLaughlin method? What is it that helps on the sustainability after I've created this awareness and keep that engine going? Usually it's about actually establishing new habits, Mm -hmm. right? Habits of reflection on how am I doing as a leader? Mm -hmm. How is my team doing Mm -hmm. in terms of their performance and their cooperation Mm -hmm. and the way they engage with each other? Mm -hmm. And while I know I poo-pooed data points earlier... (laughs) I'm going to give a caveat that, you know, I think one of the biggest underutilized data points that companies have are their engagement surveys Mm -hmm. or their culture surveys. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, the one time a year or more, ideally more, where employees have the opportunity to give anonymous feedback about their experience in the workplace. And that can be a really telling data point for understanding there's so many different data points as part of an engagement survey, and it can tell you so many things about the day-to-day experience. What is it like to work for a particular team? How do people feel about their manager's involvement in their career, in their work? And I care about this so much that I, I created a, a free ebook on my website called Show Your Team You Are Listening. Mm-hmm. Because I think that the deliberate leaders want to show their team they're listening mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. are trying to listen. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we need a little, some additional tools in our tool belt in order to actually showcase that. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's interesting you brought up engagement surveys because, you know, that's kind of the coupling of HR and employee assistance groups. And yet what I find is 
that they get the data and they don't really know what to do with the data. You know, it says you've got a bad leader or a leader who's not particularly or a, a group of employees who's not necessarily feeling like they're connected to the business, et cetera. Right. But finding solutions, finding answers, things that would help them get through that. And I know you said you didn't like measurement, but to be able to measure yep. our measurements with a caveat. Yes. <laughs> so, so I'm a very data driven person, right? I need to know. We started here. We're going right. there. How close do we get there? <laughs> totally. And data's, data can be super helpful. It's just important that we don't look at it in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. So what do we look for in those surveys that really crystallizes not the kind of the symptoms of the problems, but get us to the root cause of the problem? Because engagement surveys cover so many different mm-hmm. topics, mm-hmm. you have to look at the data and kind of slice it by a particular topic. So Mm -hmm. since we've been talking about leadership so much, there's a whole source of questions that are all on leadership. So that's kind of the first thing, right? Let's let's filter the questions. Let's look at the topical thing that we think we need to work on or want to work on. And then by looking at the questions and looking at the answers, that's where we start to come up with ideas for solutions. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't think that there's a cookie cutter solution matched with every question. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, you know, a question comes to mind of, you know, something to the effect of, I feel like I have the opportunity to express my ideas for my team. Mm -hmm. If that question has a poor result, that means a lot of people don't feel like they have the opportunity to express their ideas. Mm -hmm. So that generates okay, what are the teams that could use a focus group? What are the teams that could use their manager going in and having a one-on-one with each team member and asking, hey, do you have any ideas? Or doing a brainstorming for the future of the team, you know, as a team workshop. Mm -hmm. Choosing any of those would be a really good solution towards trying to improve that score. Mm -hmm. Those are simple, easy ways of doing things that they don't take as much time as it sounds like when we're talking about it as a story and trying to dissect things. And so I appreciate right. you talking to us about, wow, you know, there's, it's not about the really big things, but it is about taking one step, right? Yeah. Take one step, one step, one step. And if you keep doing that 1% every day, you know, you'll wind up getting better in the end out of it and not trying to bite off the whole elephant and whatnot. Exactly. This has been great. And as always, you know, it just goes so quickly. How can people get a hold of you? Well, you can reach me on my website, McLaughlinMethod.com. I'm also on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and would Katie? love to connect with any of you offline. Yeah, yeah. And her contact information will definitely be in the show notes. Guys, you know what I'm going to say. I want, first of all, I want to thank you, Katie, for sharing your wisdom and slowing it down enough so that we can really dig a little deeper than the top lines of stuff. Because I think, you know, being a deliberate leader, there's just too much out there that that glosses over what you have to do. And right. it really does start with you more than it does start with what you tell people and how you tell people and having the right answers and those kinds of things. Don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. That we, the only thing we control is ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can influence others, but we can't control them. Yeah. So we have to start with us. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what I'm going to say? If you love this, if you liked it, share it with someone. If you didn't share it with someone, because I guarantee that it will be a conversation that will help you close the gap, tease out those things that you need to do, small steps over time 
achieves those amazing results that help you close the gap. And with that, I hope all of you have a wonderful day. I do want to remind you that if you go to my website, sign up for the community, you'll get not just these podcasts, but other podcasts and and conversations based on your questions that you've been sending to me. We've been capturing them and we made a decision that we were going to have a whole section of, we're just going to have Ask Denise. As I like to say, stump Denise, give me a question I can't answer. And we've got those in there. And so I encourage you to go sign up. And just listen to see if there's something in there that can help you become a better leader, to become a more deliberate leader (laughs) so that you can deliver your passion and presence in the world and do magnificent things. With that, see ya. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.